Introducing Graduan's latest initiative, the Graduan Go podcast, where Team Graduan meets with the brightest minds from corporate Malaysia. Join us every week as we'll be talking everything from your first job to life outside of work and how you can make the most of your career. Only on the Graduan Go podcast, available on Spotify and more. Welcome to the third episode of the Graduan Go podcast. My name is Wafi. I'll be your host for this evening. I'm from the Graduan content team. And today, the topic that we'll be talking about is something that, you know, many, most, if not all of us have experienced at one point in our careers. That is burnout, dealing with it, and how you can bounce back from it. So uh, before we begin the session today, I've got a panel of experts with me, which I'll introduce shortly. Um, I'd like to urge everyone to follow at social to follow Graduan at social media. It's uh, at Graduan, and also don't forget to follow the Mind Faculty. That's the Mind Faculty KL and Naluri Naluri Life. So now, without further ado, um, I've got like as you can see, I have two experts with me. I have Esther Lo, who's from the Mind Faculty, and Amanda Xavier from Naluri Life. Um, would you guys like to kindly introduce yourselves? Maybe we'll start with Amanda. All right, sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Amanda. I'm a clinical psychologist and a mental health coach at Naluri Hidup or Life. Uh, Naluri focuses a lot on the holistic health, and we do a lot of online digital therapeutics, right? We focus on physical, mental, emotional health altogether. Uh, and that is basically where I'm coming from today with the standpoint about burnout. Right. And um, maybe Esther, you want to talk a little bit about yourself? Hi everyone, good evening. My name is Esther. Uh, I practice at the Mind Faculty and I'm also a uh, practicing counselor at the schools and uh, international schools and university. Um, I'll tell a little bit about the Mind Faculty. Um, we are the a private uh, mental health clinic uh, based in Monkiara. We're the first clinic with uh, multidisciplinary practitioners from uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors to therapists. And um, and in the last, and we have about 25 practitioners with us. Uh, we are also into corporate training where we provide corporate training to organizations. Uh, and um, during this lockdown, we've been very lucky. We've converted some of our consultations to online and even our workshops and training. Thank you. Right, yeah. That's actually a question I had earlier on while we were behind the scenes. Um, and yeah, um, um counseling is considered an essential services so they are very much well in business um so um as advertised esther is a employee assistant program counselor and a cognitive behavioral therapist um for those who don't know what that is esther do you mind telling us what uh, an eap counselor and a cognitive behavioral therapist does or actually what it is um <clears throat> The Employee Assistance Program is actually a corporate program where we provide organizations with the support for counseling and training. So uh, we've been doing uh, we've been doing this uh, uh, promoting it to organizations for uh, organizations to provide that uh, mental health support uh, for employees who probably go through burnt out or mental health issues uh, to uh, to. Uh, uh, you know, meet us, uh, either counselors or psychiatrists. And uh, as a cognitive behavior therapist, uh, it is a approach, a, te a technique where we teach, 
we brought uh, CBT has always it's called CBT. CBT has always mm -hmm. been clinical treatment, but uh, uh, lately we have brought it into workplace. So we have uh, provide workplace CBT to organizations to help organizations to look at the CBT model of how to manage their thoughts so that they can manage the way they feel, they behave, or their physical actions. So uh, it has been a, um, uh, a uh, most of our work now that I do in the, my faculty, mm -hmm. uh, all our clients that I, you know, um, that we provide the treatment of CBT and even the combination of mindfulness. Right. Okay. Um, so obviously, uh, you do provide, you know, mental health support for a lot of um, people in the corporate world, right? And today, um, you know, uh, since you're in that line of field, uh, it's it's very much appropriate that you're in here with us today. And uh, Amanda is a clinical psychologist at Naluri Life. So, what do you do as a clinical psychologist, Amanda? Well, I'm not only a clinical psychologist, uh, but we have something we consider a digital health coach at Naluri. So, I'm part of that as well. So basically on the clinical psychologist side, I provide therapy interventions and I also like to use CBT a lot, uh, as Esther has shared, um, CBT and ACT, that's my preferred intervention styles. Um, so I provide therapy and it's mostly online recently um, right. because of the pandemic and the lockdowns. Um, and with the mental health coaching part, uh, we do digital coaching through Nullary. We have an app and basically you have access to all types of coaches there. Uh, your psychologists, you have dietitians, fitness coaches, and so on. So I'm part of that in helping guide members uh, towards a healthier future. Right. Okay. So uh, if you if if your friends have missed the session, you can catch the uh, version on Spotify that will be uploaded in the days to come. So burnout, of course, that's what the, that's what we're here for today. Um, uh, in layman terms, how would you guys define burnout and how would you guys describe the symptoms? Uh, maybe Esther can take this one first. Okay, thank you, Wafi. Yeah, uh, now workplace burnt out is real. Now, burnout has actually been studied for a long time, decades, but it was only recently that WHO officially classified burnout as a occupational uh, phenomenon. So um, this change will actually validate uh, people's symptoms and suffering and remove the stigma that surrounds burnt out. So what is burnt out? So I'm going to define it uh, according to WHO by explaining a layman, layman term, like what he said, yeah? So it's the feelings of, uh, you, have, you, you have to have these three dimensions, which is the uh, feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, secondly, uh, first. Second, you need to have an increased mental distance from your job or feelings of negative towards your career. And thirdly, you need a reduced professional, you need, uh, you will reduce your professional productivity. So any of these three signs uh, likely affects uh, many employees from time to time in one way or another. So, but a real case of a workplace burnout involves all three signs and it must occur on an ongoing and prolonged basis. So, and COVID for sure, this pandemic that's going on in this world, is, is a, it's a perfect storm for burnt out. So uh, people are feeling, uh, are getting burnt out from work from home. People are staying up later, sending more emails, maybe having more meetings and running themselves crazy. In addition, some people may feel isolated, um, juggling busy working schedules, lots of video calls, 
And for some young parents with kids remote learning, yet they're burdened with having to balance between professional, family and personal life. So for some, these blurred boundaries between home and work had probably made it much harder for people to notice and realize when they're heading towards burned out. So I think I was also answered this, how do you know that you've, what are the symptoms, yeah? So um, burnout happened as a gradual process. Um, it doesn't happen overnight, it can creep up on you. So the signs and symptoms are subtle at first, but become worse as time goes on. So a person will start to find, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, that, you know, uh, pay, you know, uh, they will start to see uh, early symptoms as a red flag that something is wrong with me and I need to address it. So if you pay early attention and actively uh, reduce your stress, you can pre prevent a major breakdown. But if you ignore them, you eventually burn burnt out. So it's important to deal with burnout right away when you feel it. So um, right. it's much worse than ordinary stress. So burnout makes it challenging for people to cope with stress and handle day to day. Uh, if you're an employee experiencing burnout, you're in the state of emotional and mental exhaustion, uh, you know, and it's an excessive prolonged stress that you will feel overwhelmed, emotionally mm -hmm. drained. Uh, you will withdraw from your responsibilities, you know, take out, you know, there's a lot of frustration and you probably be unable to meet the constant demands and and that's where your productivity will you know be affected so um yeah and uh and this stress it continues yeah so the employee will start to lose interest and motivation at work uh and at the same time uh you know uh the person will feel negative about their tasks uh, and they will lack creativity at work. So it saps away the energy, it leaves employee feeling um, maybe helpless, uh, you know. And uh, um, one of the things that, yeah, burnt out is, you know, um, if you don't handle it eventually, uh, you know, it will feel like you have nothing to give and you probably experience some kind of suicidal thoughts. Yeah, so, so and uh, I think uh, what I want to, more simply put is if, if you feel exhausted, you start to hate your job and you begin to feel less capable at work, you're showing signs of burnout. So uh, you dread going to work, you don't gain any satisfaction. So that is probably a sign that, you know, the mental, your mental health could be affected and it could lead to an onset of burnout. So uh, yeah, I think that's, that's my interpretation. Yes. And um, Amanda, um, do you have, you know, another definition or, you know, uh, are you in agreement with Esther on this one? I'm definitely in agreement. I think it was uh, all of the, the the things that Esther has shared is definitely the definition of burnout. Um, and it, it can, like, I think what you've just heard, it can be really, really difficult to deal with as well. Uh, I guess right. for me, what I would use in terms of like a metaphor to explain to some of my clients about what it would be, uh, I guess, for the people listening here um, is that let's say you are a car, right? And you need fuel, you need petrol to keep going. Uh, burnout okay. is basically when you run out of petrol, but you still keep trying to start the engine, you keep trying to go. Eventually, there's going to be 
irreparable damages to the car and the engine mm-hmm. system. Um, and that's what it is. That's how our body feels. We're just completely exhausted. Like Esther said, um, we just have nothing left to give in a way. And even that right. knowledge of thinking we have nothing left to give plays back. It's like a loop, right? And then we try to do even okay. more and we still feel that loop is just right. really, really dangerous, I think. Um, but I mean, I think like, of add course. On, sorry, you're saying? Uh, I was just going to say, I think to add on to uh-huh. that, we can also know, um, notice if like, something's happening, you know, if there's a change in our personality or our behaviors, because we all know ourselves very well. Like, for example, we get irritated really easily, Mm -hmm. but we're usually very patient or we don't feel like going to work and we dread Monday mornings, but we used to be excited about projects at work, right? Um, I think this can really be helped with self-awareness and Mm -hmm. that's really where we start with to think about burnout in the first place. So, uh, like you mentioned, uh, both of you guys mentioned that, you know, a change in personality. Um, uh, Amanda mentioned a, a feeling of dread of having to go to work, you know, in the morning. Uh, those would be the early signs of burnout, right? And once we do see those red flags, how should we react to that? Or is there something we can do to, you know, stop the train before it gets off the tracks? Um, um. Maybe, Amanda, you want to take this one? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, okay, I think uh, what you say, Wafi, is, is true where it is a red flag, but these symptoms are usually actually like when you're already in the crux of burnout, I would say. Okay. This is a burnout symptom, right? It's not really a, a warning sign. Um, it happens when you're already burnt out. So right. I think a lesser, but still as severe and serious symptom that we can think about um, is our time boundaries, you know, our energy levels, um, our optimism sometimes at work. Those kind of things are sort of going to lead to all of these other things like the demotivation, disinterest, the work performance and so on. Um, Yeah, so your question to say, how do we get the train back on the tracks, right? We have to go a bit before that. But of course, even if burnout is like super bad and chronic, there's still a way. I think... I do believe therapy really helps because mm-hmm. there's certain things underlying why burnout keeps happening to this person. Um, that's what I believe. I feel like there's a lot of um, inner beliefs, like core beliefs. And this is a part of CBT um, right, that we talked about earlier. Uh, it's a part of CBT. Like the core beliefs may lead to us behaving a certain way, which is to keep going to work, to keep doing more, to prove that we're good enough right. or competent enough. So, Therapy is a good way to deal with it, but self-care is also really, really helpful. So to ensure that you do have time for self-care, that can really set you back on the track of uh, becoming someone that you know again, someone that you're uh, you're comfortable with again. Yeah. Um, I, Esther, do you have anything to add there? I, I think, yes, what Amanda says is true. I think uh, what we need is to understand that there are stages of burnout. out so uh, early intervention is really important so when how do we detect that is when we see uh you know let's say our colleague or our team members or whatever so i think the first thing we notice them is when they feel that you know um uh they start to you start to see that they they used to love the job and they start to hate the job and you know and they're less performing at the work these are early signs and they make a lot of mistakes more 
So and then you notice that they they are more uh, they uh, they are more uh, you know they have more medical conditions where they will take more medical leaves. All right, which uh, they were never used to do that. And when you start to see that, all right, uh, and then their standard of work, uh, you know, deteriorates. You know, and then one of the things that we notice is resentment comes in. They start to get defensive and they. You know, they make excuses, you know, and then, you know, uh, the the resentment is a comment where we see, uh, you know, so acknowledging those, uh, you know, those those kind of, uh, 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 you know, those kind of uh, symptoms that they have. So, and the last part is where we notice that, you know, they completely do not perform and they productively completely, you know, uh, you know, uh, they, they can't even uh, think of anything uh, you, you know, um, they, they can't even get to work or they have problems waking up in the morning or coming to work. And that's where you notice that, you know, uh, this is serious. And uh, and that's how, why, uh, you know, uh, we uh, why we go into organizations and, and train managers to know how to observe the early signs of mental health so that, you know, because early intervention is easy for you to uh, to give therapy or treatment, but if not, uh, you know, when it gets very chronic, all right, um, it's difficult to reverse and you probably need medical attention. So uh, it's how do you, you know, make sure that, you know, uh, it is early intervention, I would say. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, so you mentioned that the last stage, at the point, uh, the most crucial stage would be uh, when pretty much they don't have any will to go to work anymore. Like Amanda said that they feel that um, they don't have anything more to give. But, you know, work, you know, it's a very demanding thing, especially in the corporate world. It's really demanding. And personally, uh, in my own experience, when I have felt burnout, I only do feel relieved once the project that we're working on is settled. Uh, but of course, um, other organizations might not have that um, privilege of, you know, finishing a project. Their work is continuous. So once we get there, what is the role of the employer or the manager or the boss in helping manage their people's mental health? I think Wafi, uh, burnt out, you know, it's, uh, it's serious. I think what you mentioned could be stress. Because uh, burnt out is, you know, entering a, a burnt out stage is, you know, uh, it's what I mentioned there, you know, the four stages where you put together in, and it's serious, it's critical. So I, I probably, you know, uh, because I think uh, stress and burnt out is interrelated. So, you know, yes. so we need to identify, you know, what is, you know, whether an employee is actually, you know, entered into a burnt out or it's just a stress that, yeah. Right. So, uh, how would you how would how would you differ, uh, differentiate the two to uh, stress and burnout? Uh, okay. Uh, should I take this, Amanda? Should I take this? Okay, uh, I'll take this. All right. Um, stress. The difference between stress and burnout. Yeah. Uh, they. Yeah. They're interconnected. Anyway. Um, because uh, all of us have stress. I think it's a normal part of our life. You know, some people cope with stress better, some people recover from it better. But it's uh, also important for us to know the limits uh, of how we manage our stress so that we avoid more serious uh, effects of mental health. So um, stress is 
in any change environment, uh, you know, your body will react to adjust using your fight and flight response. So, and your body is designed to experience stress and react to it. So some stress can be positive because, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, you can look at it differently because it keeps you alert and you're ready to avoid danger. But uh, some stress can become negative when a person continuously uh, challenges, you know, themselves or knowing very well they have stress, but, you know, they, they don't do any intervention um, and they don't change their lifestyle. So that continues. So, and that constant stress can actually lead to burnout. So uh, Amanda, you have to correct me if I'm right. Yeah. So I would say that a constant stress leads to a state of burnout. So, uh, so and burnout is officially a chronic workplace crisis. It's it's been categorized as classified as a workplace phenomenon. Uh, yeah. So, um, so I would say burnout isn't same as stress, and uh, you know, uh, because stress is like okay, you can just maybe take a mental health day or uh, take a walk or, you know, you, you know, like Wafi said, maybe, yeah. And maybe start working for a day or a few hours or something like that. Um, it's a totally different because uh, once your burnout takes hold, you're totally out of your energy. You're given, uh, you know, you, there's no hope, like, you know, to overcome that, you know, you will suffer and you will have fatigue, like what you mentioned. So it's really like a chicken and egg situation shows that stress and burnout are mutually reinforcing because um, it means that, you know, uh, the more severe a person's burnout becomes, uh, the more stress they will feel at work. So that's why we, we organization, uh, organizations should take necessary steps to support employees, right? At the onset, so in order to break the vicious cycle between work stress and burnout. Yeah. Right. Um, Amanda, would you like to add anything to that? Uh, again, I hundred percent agree. I think, like uh, Esther said, it really well. Like stress is basically a reaction to these the things that are changing in our environment, and that's just how our body reacts to it. But there is, you know, good stress and bad stress. Yeah. Uh, bad stress, you know, goes on for much longer and it's much more than we can handle. And then that usually leads to burnout. So burnout is actually the, it's like a severe condition and it's a collection of severe symptoms, right? And stress happens to be one of it and it happens to also lead to burnout. And I think what Esther says really like wraps it up because it's just interrelated. It happens either way. Uh, what's a what's an example of good stress? You know, a daily example. Uh, good stress could be something that helps us to feel like challenged and excited. You know, to try mm. our best. Like, let's say, for example, you're passionate about, and I'm only saying this because I'm recently into crochet, right? So let's say <laughs> it's on TikTok all the time. So let's say you're passionate about crochet and you're like, oh, I want to challenge myself to make um, a bag out of crochet, right? Oh, okay. Uh, that makes you feel like, oh, it's stressful because there's so much work to be done. Right. I need to look at the patterns. I need to spend time on it. But it's challenging in a good way. You want to achieve this goal. And that's basically what good stress is in a very, very like simple term. At work, it's probably going to be a project that you are passionate about, right? right. That you want right. to achieve the best for this eventually. Right. Right. So you still push yourself to get it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, yeah. Esther, do you want to add anything to that one? Then? 
Well, I mean, these days, all right. Uh, we all get stressed. Uh, we were very stressed attending this 9 p.m. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> stress, but okay. stress, yeah. So, yeah, understood. Okay, okay, yeah, that's a good example there. This is a good <laughs> example. <laughs> and yeah. um, I guess bad stress would probably be, you know, prolonged projects like that. Or how would how would you define bad stress? Um, I think uh, after this podcast, 10 o'clock. That's it. Stress gone. <laughs> but it prolongs, then you know something is not right, right? Let's say. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Okay. Is that and, uh, Waffy? Yeah, yeah. That does. Uh, Amanda, how would you how would you define a bad stress and maybe an example of it? Uh, you know, uh, in daily life. Uh well, similar to what Esther said, I guess in terms of like suddenly something just drops onto our plate, right? Like, let's say this podcast is going to be extended. Uh, for like another hour until 11, right? That right. could be bad stress because it's suddenly so, it's so sudden, it's not mm-hmm. what we're prepared for. And we're like, okay, 10 o'clock, we're just going to go straight into our beds, right? Um, right. <laughs> I guess me and Esther have that same mindset right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, something like that, right? Like um, things that you don't expect. Uh, maybe uh-huh. if you're doing a project at work, for example, then your boss is like, okay, I know you're working on this, but here are three other projects to work on at the same time. Right, this can lead to bad stress because maybe these projects you're not very interested in, you're not very passionate about, uh, and it's a lot of work. So you're doing like four projects at once, it's four times the workload, and you don't have time basically for it. Right. So that's an example. Right. Okay. So um, so going back to burnout right now, now that we you know we've kind of differentiated the two, um, what do you feel are the employer's role in ensuring that their people are not burnt out and that their mental health is well taken care of. Where does the employer fit in all this? Um, Amanda, do you want to take this one? I think Esther should take this one. I think she (laughs) has a lot more experience on that and with training managers. So, uh, so I think Wafi, your question is where do employees fit in, you know, to take care of the employee employees, mental health. Yes. So, um, okay. We could just, when we looked at an employee who's facing mental health issues, uh, what that means to the organization is, uh, hey, we've got that person, you know, we've got to treat that person. Maybe, you know, uh, maybe they can still work here because they are the problem. We may have to get rid of that person, you know, yeah. Especially when the organizations are not supportive towards mental health. So that feel that that person can't work. I mean, that person totally cannot perform. So and it looks like it, that it's that person's problem and not the responsibility of the organization that employs them. So what I like to say in, I think in Harvard Business Review, I read that says that, you know, um, the root cause of burnout do not really lie with the employee, it's organization, right? Um, you know, and, and that's what organization should do to just give prevention strategies earlier. Uh, you know, I know organizations are critical for success, you know, but you need to be on the lookout on signs of burnt out because especially when work from home, you know, um, it's, it's going to stay or maybe even a hybrid model. All right. So employees have additional pressures, you know, caused by the pandemic, you know, work environment has changed, work culture has changed, you know, there's a health concern there, you know, uh, and economic challenges. So, you know, employees, um, uh, uh, stress levels are even more stormy now, I think, you know. 
So, and what employees can do is to, um, okay, maybe I'll talk about changing culture because you need at the top level to change culture so that you can foster that environment so that people, employees can speak openly about it. Because if you don't change at the top, all right, uh, it must stop. That's what I need to say. It must start at the top of the organization to change the culture first. So, and then only you can focus on, you know, maybe reducing discrimination or stigma against, you know, the barriers, you know, that's why, why employees don't uh, up and talk about it because, you know, because of the stigmatization that you may be discriminated. So you, by just by, you know, uh, having that culture, you, you allow, you know, people to openly discuss about it without shame. And of course, then as organizations, then you will need to train your managers, all right, to help them to know, uh, you know, to train them, you know, to uh, know what mental health is and what self-care is about. So you need to know, you need to be practicing yourself as a model before you can, you know, manage your employees and help them with mental health. So training for managers, equip them and of course train your employees to you know to address the mental health issues in themselves all right and of course lastly is organization uh supporting or budgeting into their you know into a pnl the employee assistance program which i think uh, not many organizations today are investing uh but but good to say that we've seen a lot more organizations have now opened up to it. But so then we go into the mental health support where, you know, employee assistance program and also the insurance policy. So that's important. And all these will help the employees um, to be more open to, um, to, to, to talk about mental health concerns they have. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. So, uh, from uh, from what you just explained, what I managed to take out is that um, the root cause of burnout is pretty much more with the employer than it is with the staff member, um, and the change kind of needs to happen from a top bottom kind of level. Um, and of course, any stigma and should be removed, and a culture of open discussion about this should be, um, you know, cultivated within the organization. Um, you know, having worked in EAP for a while, what are some initiatives that you've seen um, that are quite or, you know, have really caught your eye when it comes to mental health in the workplace? I think uh, uh, one of the things that we, we see in organization is, um, you know, um, they will, they will uh, invest in a mental health program right so it becomes a policy all right mm -hmm. but the leaders don't model it right so it becomes just a program there so right. we have we have a, a lot of organizations who sign up for eap with us but i think there's a lot more work to be done than just signing up a program and say okay here's the program you know you you you, you all have this you know you know if you have a problem uh, you have a mental health problem you, you can call the my faculty and book your appointment but when you don't have an awareness and you don't have a change of culture and, you know, I mean, the employees also have the stigma that, you know, and that's where presentism happens because even with mental health, they continue to go to work. So um, I think, you know, it's, it's about really about organization, the managers who have been trained to really support mental health for 
the EAP to happen. Um, it's not just purchasing a program for us from us and say, okay, here's what we have. So it, it's, it takes a lot more effort and a lot more awareness and, um, and education uh, for people to feel comfortable to, to open up and come and see us because, you know, it's a big thing, you know, coming to see a counselor or a psychiatrist, you know, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Amanda, do you want to add to that? I agree with Esther. I think, you know, the, the main thing about this is, is that some employers or leaders, I would say, um, they are not very understanding or aware of the stigma around mental health. Um, so, you know, I think what Esther said is very true. Like, you sort of expect that an EAP program is to come in and fix my employees. And then you you take the lead, like you take responsibility for my employees. But that's not the truth at all. Because because once this program is over, right, your employees are still your employees in that organization. Right. So it's very, very important for it to be top down, right? To have a leader that isn't prejudiced about mental health, I think it makes a huge difference because if there are any team members or employees who have mental health issues, you know, there's no stigma, there's no fear in the workplace yeah. to even talk about it, to even mm -hmm. say, I need a mental health day, right? right? I think that's something that nobody talks about really in this in this day and age even, because it's such a taboo thing, especially in Malaysia, right? Um, I'm not sure if you guys have heard about this. There was a survey done in the US, I don't have the exact data, uh, but apparently about 40% of the respondents have thoughts about resigning or have resigned because of how badly their employers handled the pandemic, right? And I think that is a very, very important thing to note for any employers here who are watching also, if they're any. Amanda, I, I need to tell you this, uh, okay, uh, because this is what is happening, especially mm -hmm. when you're dealing with the millennials and the Gen Z, all right? Their mental health is more important than their work. And they are quitting without even a job because my mental health is at stake. And that's what's happening now. And that's why, why organizations are jumping on bandwagon to, I even have, CEOs or leaders of organizations sitting in my talk for four hours, half a day on mental health. So they are recognizing that these group of Gen Z and millennials are, you know, you know, they, they value their, their work-life balance or their, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. And unlike the baby boomers or the Gen X, you know, they, they, they handle the work from home better than the Gen Z and the millennials somehow, yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that's definitely it, right? There's a lot of the uh, stronger boundaries in a way, but that results in a lot of bad news for the employer because everyone's just sort of quitting. Uh, yeah. And the, the sad thing is they have to make a choice between work and life because yeah. work is not giving them that opportunity to balance yes. things. Right. Yeah. Understood, understood. Right. So uh, we'll stick with Amanda for the next question. Um, what are the long-term effects of burnout on one's mental health? Hmm. I think like uh, what Esther shared earlier about the stages of burnout, right? at the yeah. end when we have the very severe condition, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's so many things that could be a result of that because burnout doesn't usually, usually if you don't resolve it, it's not just a one-time thing. It happens over and over again. Even if you quit this job and you go to the next job, you're going to keep having burnout, right? If you don't know how to handle it. And I think when it comes to mental health long-term, um, there could be a chance of this becoming something even more severe, like a depressive disorder, anxiety disorder, stress-related disorder. 
um, or also resulting in a lot of chronic pains or aches. You know, some people get chronic migraines for they don't know why, but probably it's because you've been having burnout for so long, not even dealing with your own physical health. Um, so long term, it's pretty bad if, if this doesn't uh, get resolved earlier on. Plus, it also affects their ability to perform at work, affecting their chances to get another job or a, a better position or career advancement because they're not even performing well. Um, and that, you know, plays back, like I said, with the loop, plays back into our own um, beliefs about ourselves, about what can we do, what are our skills. Um, and then eventually, at the end of the day, if you just don't believe it and you believe that there's nothing you can do to change it, there's a lot of helplessness, which also is a very, very vulnerable place you can fall into a very deep depression as well. You know, so eventually I think that's just a lot of long-term mental health effects from this. So you did mention earlier on that, uh, you know, one way to cope with this is, you know, a self-care. Um, and how, how would you define self-care for those, you know, who are unaware of that? Is it just having me time, you know, having time alone by myself, just being away from work? Is that what self-care is? I would say self-care, okay, the general term, I know it's going to sound really redundant. It's basically taking care of yourself, right? But that means to do things that are both necessary and enjoyable, right? And necessary things include stuff like exercising regularly, eating healthy, um, maintaining your time boundaries, you know, not working over time. Uh, also setting up like your dentist, your doctor appointments, not missing them out, um, taking care of your personal hygiene, all these kind of things. And then the enjoyable stuff comes in with like your hobbies, you know, spending time with your support system, your friends, your family, um, and all of these things that make you feel happy. So it's a combination of both. And I think to even get to that point, there needs to be a discussion about how do we even have time for this, right? Bringing it back to boundaries, bringing it back to what is leading to our boundaries being so rigid right now that we can't even establish time for ourselves to have self-care. Right, right. Yeah, so uh, you mentioned that, um, I mean, the necessary things first, like our health uh, has to come into play before uh, the things that we kind of want to do. Um, but not necessarily. I think it can be a combination. As long okay. as it's both, that's great. <laughs> okay, okay, understood, yeah. understood. Um, yeah, I think Esther, were you about to say something about that? Uh, I think uh, I would say practice uh, self-care. Uh, that's mm -hmm. very important, yeah. Uh, but I think uh, what I want to say is uh, people should create uh, what we call a mental health toolkit, all right? Their own mental health toolkit. Because, um, you know, it's like a safe box at home, you know, we've got all those things ready there, you know, just in case something happens. And that's what I would um, I would always share about, you know, people should create their own mental health toolkit. And what Amanda says, in the mental health toolkit, it would be, yes, a healthy lifestyle. That means your eating, your sleeping, and your exercise pattern should be there and also maintain some social connection. But one of the things that I would like to bring in into, into the mental health toolkit is, because stress is going to be a part of our life forever in our life, all right? As long as, yeah. So people should learn long-term coping skills, all right? Uh, people do have short-term coping skills. They call it happy pill, you know, go for a drink with your friend or um, have a movie or Netflix or YouTube, all right? But a lot of people, a lot of my kind that I noticed that they don't have long-term coping mechanisms. And that's why when you're stressed, all right, they can't cope. All right. So, uh, and that's where I would like to advocate mindfulness and of course the cognitive behavior technique and breathing technique. Uh, this is so important when you learn this because um, these uh, these techniques will help you to cope with 
in difficult situations on the long term because you make a conscious effort to practice um you know having more healthier thoughts you know and um and the good thing about this kind of long-term like mindfulness cbt and uh, yeah there are a lot of online apps that are available learn this so you know and and that's what i said you know um uh, these are practices that people should spend time to make it a part of a practice or a way of life or you know on the long term so that you know it definitely help to improve their mental resilience and to achieve right. long-term mental health. Right, okay. That's a, that's a really good tip. Uh, viewers do keep in mind that you guys do also need to develop your own long-term coping mechanisms because stress is you know, one of the constants in life, like change. Um, so we have actually received a question from Ahmed Ridwan. Um, he's actually ha he actually has a question that a lot of the current people deal with, and it's something that we mentioned earlier about the, the different generations, right? So obviously, um, uh, like Esther mentioned, the millennials and, or the Gen Zers, um, they're bigger on mental health. You know, they understand the importance of it, they, and they um, they acknowledge that mental health is really important. Unlike you know uh, a lot of people from the previous generation, so whenever they do talk about whenever they do talk about uh, stress and mental health, their family comes back to them and does not recognize it, does not acknowledge that you know it's burnout or whatever, and say that hey man just suck it up, uh, you're you're too weak. So how can they cope with that? How can the younger generation cope with people telling them to just you know it's all in your head? How can how can they you know? cope with um, this phenomenon, per se. Sorry, what is the question? Uh, yes, how do they cope? Uh, um, can you repeat the question? They tend to be, a lot of the millennials, they tend to have their mental health concerns uh, dismissed. Oh, by their parents, right? By their parents, yeah, or even, or even their employers, you know? Yeah. So how, how do they cope with that? Um, I think uh, there is an outlet. Uh, if a person has a mental health condition, if they have an outlet where they have a good support, either family or friends or colleagues or, or organization, then of course that person will, will have a better chance of coping. Yeah, but let's say they don't have, um, and of course uh, coming to see private mental health clinics are also very expensive. Yeah, uh, and maybe they can't afford it. But I think there are a lot of uh, NGOs. Yeah, there is a, a helpline, a full list of you know people yeah. like MyStar or WAO who actually provide free counseling. So uh, maybe that could be you know if let's say you've exhausted all avenues, you know your family, you, nobody understands you, and you just you know um, you know uh, and you don't have no one to talk to, and of, of course and um, and look into this kind of uh, NGOs where they do provide counseling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's see. So, um, the if I could add is pretty on to much that, actually. Yeah, please. Um, I think that is definitely a great way because I think a lot of people don't realize there's a lot of affordable or even free resources out there for mental health. Uh, the main consensus is that it is super pricey and we can't afford it every time someone brings up therapy or you know any type of counseling, but there are a lot of uh, providers that are giving it at a very affordable rate. And that same, like what Esther says, a lot of NGOs are doing that as well, even free counseling. 
uh, for certain populations, right? Um, I think another thing to also be aware of as a millennial myself uh, is You're that- You're a millennial. <laughs> we are, right? Oh. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I've got two millennials a... at home. I've got two millennial kids at home. <laughs> they train me well. <laughs> it's, it's good training. <laughs> Um, yeah, as a millennial myself, right, I'm actually just a few years from Gen Z, I would say, uh, the start of Gen Z. Uh, but anyway, I think it's a very, very common issue right now, because even though yeah. a lot of our generation are more open to mental health, mm. uh, a lot of our parents' generation are not. Yeah. And it's yeah. very difficult if your family is that first line of support that you go to. And when you just want to share about what you're going through, it doesn't work out. You know, you either get dismissed or you get asked to be more religious or to pray more you know and and just asked to just suck it up and just be okay with it right and I think that's something to be said about the generational trauma uh, because our parents may have heard something like this from their parents and so yeah. on right it's just a, it's just happening uh, through the generational family lines right and it is great that right now, if you do have like an issue or a mental health, even if you just have mental health awareness, it already helps to change this um, domino effect. It changes for from this generation, uh, at least like majority of this generation for their own kids, right? Whatever generations come after us. So I think even if your family dismisses you, even if people around you don't believe you, um, it's okay to believe yourself and it's okay to, be confident that this is what you know about yourself, trust your instincts and just get the help that you need, right? Because you don't need the approval of people around you who don't believe in mental health to get help. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, is there any way though that we can change the mindset of the, old of the older generation? Is there something we can say, some statistic we can show, you know, or it's really all up to them? Um, so I'm going to say that Malaysia has done a lot of awareness. Uh, you know, uh, I think uh, last Friday or Saturday was the World Suicide Day, and uh -huh. the ministry have prepared a lot of events and uh, you know, and there was a book, uh, you know, uh, just talking about suicide awareness and about mental health. So I think uh, we are the NGOs, the government are doing a lot to you know to advocate and to bring this awareness so i think uh, it's getting better all right compared to well I, I would say in my time you know stress and burnout is never a language it's taboo to talk about it so you know i come from that generation where you know um you know we don't even know we had burn we don't even know we have stress you know we just keep working so you know and slowly you know we we are we are getting there you know we are getting there in malaysia i would say because um you know our suicide rate was really high in the last uh, six months i think you know we we reached a really uh, red flag where you know uh, we have an average of three suicide a day so i think uh, a lot are being done now i and i right. organizations have started to step in to also be mm -hmm. responsible yeah yeah, I guess, um, you know, the work that the Mind Faculty and Naluri Life does, um, it's it's really, really good work, you know, 
thank you guys for you know doing what you guys are doing. So um, going back to burnout, of course, I mean, it's hard to talk about burnout without, you know, talking about mental health and we kind of do stray from the topic a little bit. That's no problem at all. But um, could you guys share a personal experience of yourselves being burned out and how you coped with it? Um, mm-hmm. Anyone want to go first? Volunteers? Um, I think I can go first then. Okay. All right. Yeah. Right. Sure. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, I had my, f- my first burnout actually and. Thank goodness it was my only burnout. Uh, when I was still a trainee, I was training for uh, doing my master's of clinical psychology. And that was just, I think, about two years ago. Um, so basically at that time, you know, I was seeing clients nonstop. There was a lot of back-to-back uh, because we have to fulfill clinical hours, right? So you just basically got to uh, chase hours, essentially. And because of that, you know, it led to like no personal time, no rest time because we also had classes going on at the same time. So we're seeing clients, we're having classes. By the time we get home, it was the only self-care was just sleep, just knock out, right? Um, And then what happened was like, by the time I realized I was actually burned out, like I had no idea what was happening. I thought it was normal to dread seeing my clients. It was normal to dread driving to work um, because I heard all my batchmates were having the same thing. Turns out we were all burnt out, right? Um, But by the time I actually realized it, I had like this emotional outburst, unfortunately, during an interview for a placement. So I was being interviewed to get a placement at that center and I just burst out in tears, right? And that was, I guess, the the culmination of what was happening so far. And after this, you know, I actually almost quit my master's program. Like that was a very big reason for me to almost leave. And then I knew I had to take a break because you know, dreading seeing clients was not really normal and it's not going to be productive or helpful for myself or them. So I also took a break for about a month. I had the opportunity. I had the, I would say the privilege at the time because I was just a trainee. So taking a break is just, it just means extending my master's program. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And then during that time, I also went for therapy. So I was actually able to uncover what led to my burnout, um, which was, you know, a mix of no self-care plus the beliefs I had about myself to keep pushing and make sure that I was able to complete my master's on time, make sure that I was good enough to prove to people that led to a lot of, I guess, perfectionism, a lot of uh, striving for more. I would just accept it clients no matter what. Um, and that was one of the reasons that I had a very bad burnout at that time. Uh, you know, there was a lot of negative emotions, irritability. I think right. my family also noticed that I wasn't myself already by that time. Um, so through therapy and this one month break, slowly I got back on track. It wasn't just a one month and I was completely fine. It was like ongoing for the rest of the year until I, I think maybe about last year, I really got Mm -hmm. back to hundred percent of who I really was and who I was before. So I think, you know, although I've experienced moments since then that were close to burnout because I already went through something like that, I've managed to prevent it before it gets bad again, Mm -hmm. because I know what to do this time. I think like what Esther said earlier, I have like a mental health uh, toolkit, you know, I know what are my coping skills. I know what's my self-care. I know what works. I know what doesn't work. And that really, really helps me to just know what's happening and also prevent it. Um, I just wanted to ask there, um, you did mention that, I mean, obviously from the way you described it, uh, you were under a a ton of pressure. Um, Do you feel that you put that pressure upon yourself? Oh, definitely. 
<laughs> Definitely. Right. I had certain beliefs about myself at the time uh, and it was just going to be strengthened by proving it with the masters, you know, becoming a clinical psychologist, it was just going to prove it. And I think that was definitely the expectation I had on myself. I know my parents did not push me that hard. They, they were actually pretty fine with what I was doing. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm really grateful for that. But I think a lot of it was my own expectations. Great. Thanks. Thank you for sharing that, Amanda. And um, Esther, would you like to share, you know, a story of when? Yeah, I think my story is, a, it's a long time. Uh, I think I was starting my career, I was a mother of uh, two uh, oh. growing up kids. And now my kids are working, they're building their career now. So, uh, and I was actually then juggling with motherhood and was very, very busy building my career and my job requires me regular business travel. So, well, that time was exciting, it sounds, but it became my source of stress. So um, when I was young, I saw my mom struggle really, really hard and I wanted something else in life, another type of life. So I right. went to get a university degree, travel the world. I, I wanted all these, find an interesting job, make a career, find good and supportive husband, you know, have kids, a girl and a boy. I mean, then it was quite normal things, but I don't think the millennials think about this anymore. So, right. And it was, so I, I must say I was lucky. I got most of what I wanted, but I had to pay a price for many years uh, without being aware of the consequences. So for many years, I was experiencing many physical and mental symptoms that I basically ignored or I was ignorant then. All right. Like that, like that time nobody talks about stress. So, but I noticed that my body and my mind, you know, uh, was always telling me to slow down, but I did not listen to those warnings. So I stressed myself, uh, I had problems sleeping, I had loss of appetite. Um, I even had problems concentrating. I wasn't happy at work, but I tried to continue living the way and it sort of become an autopilot and I keep on going. So, but my physical health took a turn for the worse when my menstrual cycles non-stop bleeding and on one overseas trip i just black out i don't know what happened i woke up and that's it you know next morning i was fine again so you know eventually it took me a few visits to the specialist doctor to realize i had to make a change to my life and that's what i did now those days nobody talked about stress or right? burnt out right. on mental health so you you just you know walked away you know you just leave the company in silence and never talked about it so, and that's what I did. Um, I was clear that I needed a change. So, um, and that's what I did, uh, but I made a very drastic change. Uh, you know, then you don't have therapy, you know, you, you don't have mental health, yeah, support or anything. So I made a drastic change myself. I took up an unpaid sabbatical leave myself. And of course I went to pursue my master's in counseling and that's where I am today. Right. So, but I would see my, okay, then, all right, it's different now where you can have therapy, then we didn't. So we, we, you know, we changed our environment and we handled it ourselves. All right. Mm -hmm. So, but then my burnout was a blessing in disguise because, you know, and that's where I am today. Right. So I, you know, that, and that's where I built my passion today. All right. So, and that's, and that's, uh, that's my experience. So uh, we were not lucky to have therapy then. So right. uh, just for context, how long ago was that? <laughs> I will tell you my age, my dear. Okay, I have two grown-up kids. They are millennials. So you okay. met, yeah, uh, and and it happened in my mid forties. You know, when you're going okay. at the peak of your career. Right. Yeah? Okay. Okay. Understood. Understood. Okay. Well, um, also just wanted to know uh, because you did mention that Malaysia has taken leaps and bounds when it comes to mental health awareness. Um, when did you feel that 
um, the revolution per se began? Well, I would say when I first got into uh, professional counseling, it was uh, about 10 years ago when I got my license, uh, more than 10 years ago when I got my license. Uh, but um, I was supposed to practice counseling. I was supposed to go into mental health, uh, practice uh, practicing and I even start my own practice and yeah. But after one year, I quit and I went back to corporate again because oh. the money was too good. So I okay. spent another three years in corporate um, mm. and, and that's it. And then after that, uh, that was it. I, I completely, now I'm completely 100% into mental, I'm a 100% mental health practitioner now. So right. I don't work in corporate, although sometimes the money is so lucrative, but I, I know that, you know, this is, this is my passion. This is my career. It's really, really nice. Um, we are uh, approaching the end of the time. We still have uh, time for just a few more questions. So um, we are now in September, mid-September. Um, I have to remind myself that sometimes because, you know, nowadays time is just like all over the place. Um, and approaching year end, obviously, it's a busy period uh, for a lot of uh, corporates. And we're going to see a lot of people facing burnout and uh, high levels, dangerous levels of stress, if I might add. So how can we prep these talents for that mentally? Um, um, I think we've talked about it just now. Uh, I think Amanda, we brought up about mental health. We talked about uh, a mental health toolkit. We talked about self-care. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, we also talked about long-term coping mechanisms. Um, I think one of the things uh, we, uh, I think I'd like to mention is, you know, for, someone to work productively or be able to take care of your family you know um what you need to do is to first learn how to track your own mood all right so is it sorry what was that track your own mood all right so that your own mood uh, okay yeah, yeah your own mood so what triggers yeah uh it, and that's something that individuals should have a relationship with their own stress so that they know what their mental health is and they pay attention to how they feel and how it fluctuates and you know okay. what are the triggers you know that alter their mood so mm -hmm. and and they should always keep their stress at the low level right and that's where you know uh, self-care comes in you know healthy lifestyle you know social connection and long-term school so what I would like to say is, yeah, um, uh, employ, uh, be, like you say, talents um, for individuals, yeah, um, do remember to, you know, learn to have a relationship with your own stress so that you know how, mm -hmm. you know, how do you manage it, yeah, when, when, you know, you crack under the, you know, the stress of, yeah, what do you do, yeah, what do you need to do, and of course, having right. those mental to kids is a preventive action also. Okay. Okay. So it's okay. And so uh, what I took from that was, you know, we should um, be in tune with our emotions, how we feel, you know, and if we have to bring the toolkit out, we bring it out. Um, Amanda, do you want to add, add anything to that? Oh yeah, definitely. I think what Esther said is definitely what I was going to say as well. Um, just be very aware. Right? I think mindfulness is going to definitely be that key to unlocking, knowing more about yourself. And that's the, the way you can, learn more about how you deal with stress and then how you can prevent burnout eventually. Uh, but I think something to also sort of um, uh, focus on, yeah, that's what I was looking for. <laughs> something to also focus on is that just because we have a mental toolkit doesn't mean we bring it up when we have 
mental health crisis. This is actually something that we should be doing as a almost a daily even practice or a habit to make it more natural for us so that so that when we do have a crisis, it's easier to bring out, right? So this is actually something that's not supposed to be like a first aid kit after, right. after the injury. It's supposed to be like supplements, like vitamin supplements that you take it's every a day. A preventive, exactly. it's preventive. Yeah. yeah, it's a preventive action, yeah. Yes, exactly, right? So do it every day, practice it until you get used to it, until you, it becomes a habit for you then if you do have a mental health crisis, it's going to be so much easier to take it out and use it. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I really like your analogies tonight, Amanda, uh, with the car and the <laughs> gas and the vitamins and supplements. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. It makes things a lot easier to understand. Um, right. So I think um, we have come to the end of uh, episode three of the Grad and Go podcast on burnout, dealing, and how you can bounce back from it. So um, I'll just... Uh, before you know, we close the show. Of course, I uh, just want to leave the floor open to you guys. Um, any final words uh, that you guys would like to say to those you know um, who are suffering from burnout right now, and um, how they can beat it? And you know, a closing words from yourselves as well, uh, Amanda. You can go first. Mm, I guess one final thing I would like to to tell everybody who's watching is that you know, first of all. Taboo is like, it's societal. It's a societal construct, all right? So mental health is, it doesn't have to be ascribed to that kind of societal construct. If you know that you're going through something, if you know that you're going through some sort of stress, be it chronic or one time, and you're going through burnout or any other mental health conditions or issues, trust that instinct and seek help. You know, I think generally the, the earlier you do it, like what Esther mentioned earlier on, early intervention is always going to be much easier uh, to, go, to follow through than later intervention. It's going to be really difficult to manage later on. So if you already feel like something's changing, or even if you just want to go and discover, you know, your own self, your, your self-esteem, your self-worth, your self-confidence, or just discover your personality, that is also a good reason for you to go for counseling or therapy, right? So you don't have to wait until uh, you have a breakdown to actually go for therapy. I think that's something I just want to share with everybody to trust yourself and to also get the help no matter what you're going through. Right, right. So uh, pretty much just, um, you know, be aware of yourself and um, eat your vitamins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Esther, uh, um, close to me much from you. Okay. Um what I like to say is to those people are listening, uh, whether you're going into the work office now or you are working from home or hybrid model, um, the pandemic has probably changed the way you work. And that's true, you know, um, definitely. So you probably have a lot of fear and anxiety and some other strong emotions and, and it can be quite overwhelming. And um, definitely if it's not handled, then you know, that stress can lead to your burnt out. So how you cope with these emotions and stress can affect your, your general well-being. So yeah, and it could and it's the well-being of yourself, your family, and your community at your workplace. So uh, what I like to say, it is so critical that you recognize what stress looks like, you know, right. uh, and take steps to practice self-care 
long-term uh, coping skills, learn them, practice them, and make them a way of life, right? And uh, manage your job stress well. And 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 lastly, I would say, know where to go to seek help, right? Whether you go to your friends or your colleague or your organization, or if not, seek professional help, because once it becomes too overwhelming. So um, and that's where you know you definitely need help and not to uh, you know not to you know not uh, able to take steps. So that's that's what I want. Great, right? Thank you very much, Esther. Thank you very much, Amanda, and thank you to our listeners and viewers tonight for tuning into the third episode of the Grado One Go podcast. This episode will be up on Spotify, so do tune in. Thank you guys so much, and don't forget to follow the Mind Faculty KL on Instagram and Naluri.life on KL, as well as uh, Naluri.life on Instagram, as well as Grado One on Instagram. Um, Yep. Uh, so it doesn't matter how fast you go, as long as you keep going. Thank you guys very much. And we'll see you later. <laughs> Thank Bye. you. Good night. Good night.